Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And I looked at the dress and I said, oh my God, did you eat in this dress? Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by the lovely Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well too, getting into Olympic swing of things. I don't even know how to say that. That sounds, that sounds weird, but it's like, okay, you had the Olympics and then you were kind of like, oh my gosh, I got to recover, but it was fabulous. And then it was like Paralympics. Oh my gosh, this is so cool too. And now I got to recover. Now I'm getting into kind of like research mode and and uh finding out all sorts of new weird fun facts and i'm really getting jazzed it's it's in our our chronic olympic fever mode yes. rather than acute yes yes exactly so i will uh i will take that and i'm excited it's a little a little easier on the sleep <laughs> <laughs> well it depends because when you go down those rabbit holes that's true yeah that's true i've found myself watching videos on youtube that you know someone else walks in the room and he closed the computer and it's not like it's porn or something it's like oh, no i was watching um bobsledding from 1954 again yeah. again yeah <laughs> yeah oh but it's been the world we're still kind of like getting that post winter games bump going on because world championships have been happening yep. and uh one of the bigger ones was the world figure skating championships which was mm -hmm. this past week and wow what a what and a show that was because so we had pretty, a, some pretty big excitement there right because a lot of people dropped out due yes. to injury so uh you didn't have Yuzuru Hanyu. Yes, because he his ankle was very messed up. <laughs> right. And you didn't have Patrick Chan. Yep. And you didn't have... Javier Fernandez. Javier Fernandez was not there. Was not there. So wide, kind of wide open for the men's group. On the women's side... Evgenia Medvedeva did not come, the silver medalist from Pyeongchang. 
Right. Alina Zakitova was there, but became a story. Right. She had a pretty rough is being kind uh, free skate. She had a yeah. lot of falls and just that was it felt really bad. She melted down. She just absolutely melted down, which but uh, you know what? She's 15 years old. Right. And she just won an Olympic gold medal. I was actually surprised that she went to the world championships because of that. I would think it was going to be too much, and it clearly it was. But on the upside, Caitlin Osmond finally got her world title. Yeah, and oh, she skated beautifully. She was beautiful, and she got the scores that she deserved, which was exciting. So that made so, me happy. That was good. A lot of pairs were not there. Megan DeMel and Eric Radford were not there, the bronze medalists from Canada. Yep. And some other pairs weren't there. I know that one of the American pairs didn't go because our friend Nate Bartholomew and uh, Deanna Stellato, they got bumped up and got to go. And sadly, they just missed the cut to move on to the free skate. They were the Ugh. first team to not make it, which is yeah. really sad. Frustrating. But I, from what uh, Nate posted, I think they're coming back. <gasps> Good. Good for them. I think. Yeah, I got the impression from what he said that they're they're sticking around. Good, 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 good. But, but can you imagine how they were really good this year? Can you imagine yeah. what one more year is going to do to their technique and their teaming and their just everything? It's going to be, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Be fun. That'll be good. And um, then on the dance side, Papadakis and Cicerone came back. Her dress was fixed <laughs> and just, if you get a chance to watch that short dance where mm -hmm. her dress broke at Pyeongchang, the way they performed it at Worlds was the way it should have been done. But this time she had a whole uh, flesh mesh. Oh, down the back. Okay. Down the back. Yeah. So I, I noted that as I was watching and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You are not going to let that happen again, sweetie pie. Yeah, I felt bad for her. But yes, they skated beautifully, and the long program was beautiful again. And you know what really broke my heart? If they had gotten the scores, and I know it's a different judging panel, but if they had gotten the scores that they got at Worlds at Olympics, they would have won. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a difference a day makes. Yeah, what a difference a dress makes. Well, speaking of wardrobe malfunctions, that got you on a little quest to figure out what actually goes into a figure skating outfit. It garners headlines when people like Roberto Cavalli or Vera Wang design a costume for a medal-winning skater. But most skating costumes are made by a small group of designers that specialize in the genre. Women like Lisa McKinnon, who loves her sparkle, Jan Longmire, Gail Johnson, and the woman that I spoke to, Pat Pearsall, have worked for years in this niche market. Pat Pearsall has been designing skating dresses for over 20 years, and she started when she couldn't find a dress for her own daughter, so she took her sewing experience and put it to work. Loved it so much, she made a whole industry out of it, and she is the favorite designer of Mariah Nagasu, and designed both of Mariah's dresses that she wore at Pyeongchang, including that red dress, which was my favorite, I think, of the whole Olympics. Well, let's take a listen to what Pat and Allison talked about. Where do you start? Who calls you the very first uh, contact? 
the, the usually the very first contact is the mother or the skater. Okay. And uh, that's usually the first contact. I usually work with the skater, the family. You know, certainly the coach choreographer has a you know a say in what they do. They they have input, but I typically, I mean, my take on it is the client. My client is the skater and their family, whoever's actually placing the order and paying. So, do you hear the music? Do you see the program? How much information are you getting about the overall theme? You send me the music. You send me, you know, a clip of the music, um, a photo of the skater, and I use that for, you know, uh, coloring, flesh mesh colors. I try to get as much of that up front so that I have it in the order and I'm not going back and constantly looking for stuff. Basically, the music, I listen to the music. If it's from a movie or... If it's the theme of something, I try to, if I don't already know the music, I try to get some uh, more information on the music. That kind of helps me to see if there's a theme for the, for the program. Okay. Uh, and I listen to that. I have this in my, uh, you know, it's on my website. I, I, I loop that music so that I listen to it, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 times. And while I'm doing that, I either go through sketches that I already have sketched in the past years. I've been sketching these things for, I don't know, 20 years or something. Or if I don't have anything that I will sit down and do another sketch. But uh, that's the start. When I'm listening to it, that gives me a sense of what the color should be, what the dress genre should be. So that's where I start. Do a lot of skaters have things like, I don't like long sleeves, I like long sleeves, I like this. And do a lot of that from the skaters herself? I don't get a lot of it. I do get some of it, and that's one of the things I asked them about in the beginning. I said, you know, what are there any likes, dislikes that I need to know about? Um, and I try to make sure it's the skater's likes, dislikes. So on that topic, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the old days, there's always had sleeves. Now you rarely see sleeves. Is that just a fashion evolution, or is that something that's changed in skating? Uh, I think it may be a fashion evolution. You know, a lot of people um, they don't want sleeves um, and some are fine with either. I usually try to tell the skaters, look, you know, it's, if you are open to all things, then it makes the entire process a little easier, a little bit better. It also shows flexibility. I mean, if somebody only ever, ever wears sleeves, I mean, then, the, then maybe the judges don't get to see you in all different dresses. I mean, they, they don't see that flexibility. So, so when you... See, that's kind of being open to all of it um, is a good thing. Yeah. So when you work with somebody over season, you try and do something very different. Uh, I do. And most of the people that I work with, I work with over season. I mean, I usually work with people until they're kids stop skating until they age out or they go to college or they stop skating for some some reason or yeah so you really get the years I get to kind of know what they like but I also try to always say let's keep an open mind and let's be versatile it just gives us a lot more uh, ability to be artistic and creative now is there a concern with weight with the crystals and the sequence and the amount of fabric 
Um, the crystals and the pieces probably, but nothing else. Okay. Um, the dresses weigh nothing uh, by themselves. I mean, you've got, you know, maybe, I don't know, two-thirds of a yard of fabric in there. Oh, so, I mean, it's very, there's very little weight there. It's very light. And when you start adding stones, of course, that's where, you, where you'll get weight. It's not a lot. I'd say most, most dresses are, are about a pound, maybe under a pound. If it's lightly stoned, maybe slightly over a pound if it's more heavily stoned. They're not, it's not a lot, but um, some skaters would prefer it to, you know, I rarely run into too many that want it less. But in Mariah's case, we did that because she is doing a triple axle, and we want to make sure that nothing, nothing at all interferes with that. Right, because she's got to really pull that upper body. Right, right. On and like I job. said, I do I think that it matters a whole lot in the weight. Well, probably not, but if it matters to her, then it matters to the dress. Now, what is the, is the fabric similar to, say, a leotard or a bathing suit in yes. the body? So it's yes, that stretchy basically, spandex it's, lycra. It's lycra. It's basically spandex lycra. All of them pretty much are. And then the, at times people use stretch velvet, but again, it's stretch fabric. It's, I, I don't use a lot of stretch velvet anymore at all. Is it uh, style-wise or just people don't like it? Um, to me, it's just heavy, an older look. You know, I'm, you know, I may use it a little bit for an applique or a touch here and there, but to me that's kind of a dated, kind of older, theatrical look. Um, are you ever concerned with how it looks on camera? So yeah, I mean, dresses look very different one foot away or two feet away when you're stoning it. And I, you know, I learned this very early on. It looks totally different from 30 or 40 feet away and even more different on camera. So it's important to, I hold the dress away, I look through, through mirrors, so I get kind of a, an idea of, that perspective. When I see a dress on television, or like I said, a competition, I will watch it pretty closely. I mean, everybody else is watching the jumps and spins, and I, I totally am watching the dress just to absolutely make sure that I feel like everything's as it should be. And if I want to make any changes, then I, then I do after I see it. Like they try and match the tights, obviously, to, and the mesh to their skin tone. But a couple of the girls, it looked like, as as our listener said, that they got dressed in the dark because the color was so... Yeah, see, I'm very particular about the flesh mesh. I mean, that, has, that was one of my pet peeves when I first started doing dresses. I was like, oh my gosh, this looks... That is just... No, that's a no for me. And I, you know, I do a lot of baton trollers, and I still see a lot of that. You know, this really dark mesh on these really pale girls, and I'm thinking, to me... This is my personal take. That is laziness on the part of somebody. I mean, look, it doesn't take that much to match the mesh. It really doesn't. It's not that difficult of a thing. So um, do you think I, it I has... I dye some of the mesh to match. I mean, if I can't find what I want, I dye it. And it's really not that difficult a thing. And I, I like to make it match. The type, none of us costume designers have any influence over the tight color. That is, that is the type's manufacturers. And... Would that someone in that tights manufacturing business out there would come up with a tight color that would be a, a fair color in, for some of these lighter skin girls? These are very, or even just a medium neutral, you know, a natural color, because this is those tights are super dark. It's really hard for 
for skaters and parents to find tights that are the right color. Yeah, I mean, people look for these things and they're like, geez, we're trying to get tights that match, and it's really, it's very hard. I mean, it's hard to find tights that match their skin tone. I don't know why that's so difficult, but I don't know, just maybe the tight manufacturers, you know, don't make them in a light color. I I don't get it. So seasons are long. There's a lot of competitions. Mm -hmm. Do the dresses have to get cleaned at some point? Uh, Lots of people don't clean their dresses. Okay. Oh, and some do. It just depends on how smelly they get, actually. (laughs) You know, these dresses... They're not difficult to clean if, depending on the skirt fabric, that is the big thing. And because that becomes an issue, I am, I'm a costume designer that does less of the, um, let's put it this way, I do less skirts in things that will not wash well or don't look good afterwards or you'll have to press them. Uh, I'm asked constantly to use fringe. Fringe looks great out there if you're doing a jazzy number. You can't wash it. You can't get it wet. The fringe completely curls up into the fringe. So if you're not going to wash it, then you're going to wear it a bunch of times and you don't care about cleaning it, then you're fine. But I I don't use it for that reason. Uh, Same thing with silk and chiffons. I just don't do it. It's too difficult. So to clean these, it's pretty simple. Clean my hand in a sink of warm water with uh, light or something very mild and you just kind of squish the water through it you rinse it off you lay it on a towel put another towel on top of it roll the towels up scrunch them a little bit squeeze them unroll it and hang it up to dry and it'll be perfectly fine hmm. yeah and then transporting the dresses is do they, how do they pack? Do they pack well? Do they pack? Do you yeah, have to do something special? Well. I think they pack them well. I mean, you know, they can roll them up or lay them flat. Some people carry them in clothing, you know, clothes bags. They do well. I think I watched Michelle, my wife's one before she, uh, before she did this competition because she had worn it at nationals or somewhere. And I looked at the dress and I said, oh, my God, did you eat in this dress? And she said, <laughs> I did. I said, oh, my God, you got food on this. (laughs) So typically they roll the top of the down. They wear a shirt or a sweatshirt or something. But (laughs) occasionally they do eat in a dress, which certainly I never recommend. So I said, I'm going to take it out. I'm going to wash that thing. (laughs) So So a little little woolite and you're good to go. A little woolite and, yeah, we're good to go. Now, not to be specific, of course, the range of the, the special order dresses. You know, everybody is different. Everybody is. Everybody has different prices that they start at. And some people are a lot more expensive and some people are cheaper. I try to have my dresses start at the 1000 to 12 1300 Okay. But I will tell you that it is absolutely dependent on the design that they choose. If it's a design that has a lot of cuts and a lot of appliques, a lot of insets, a lot of cutouts, Obviously, that dress is going to be a lot more expensive. If it has a lot of stoning or a lot of visual that will make it expensive. These stones are not cheap. The stones are probably the most expensive part of a dress. I use only Swarovskis. I mean, on occasion, if I can't get a color, I'll use a, a Czech stone. The stones are expensive. That is what drives up the price on a dress. And I am just 
very, very aware of how expensive a sport this is for families and skaters. And I have done my best to really try to keep the cost down so that I try not to raise them too much. What's the most expensive dress you've done? Probably Mariah's dresses. I would say that wine-colored one. Oh, that had a lot of beading. Or, or was it uh, stones? The one from last year. The one last year. The oh. wine-colored dress from last year with the heavy necklace. Mm-hmm. The necklace that went all the way down the back. That was, yeah. Yeah, that was some, probably, and also the Great Gatsby, but I think that the wine-colored Chopin dress had probably the most. But I've done, you know, dresses for Agnes Zawatsky. Some of hers had quite a bit of stoning. So how are those stones applied? Are they stitched or glued or both? I never stitched stones on. Okay. Ever. Uh, we did a long time ago. Now, some people still do it, I would imagine, but the cost would be prohibitive. You're, you're talking about really, um, when you're sewing something on, that's handwork and that's really, uh, you, you barely can do that in this country, really, if for, if for any reasonable cost. It just can't be done. They are, I use E6000 glue. That's what I've always used. It is waterproof, dries clear, and it's flexible. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. So what other considerations in terms of making sure the dress is the way it's supposed to stay all season long do you have to think about? So you have to use the particular glue. You've got to think about the fabric. What other issues can come up? So when you're doing a dress for maybe a younger skater, you know, mid-teens or something, you want to make sure that if they're in a growth spurt or if they're growing a lot, I never add fun. I want to make sure absolutely that that the dress is not super tight to start with. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to wear this dress all the way through a season. Right. Like I said, I do not add grow room, but I try to make absolutely sure that we're starting with something that just fits sleek but not tight. That's just the way it is. I mean, if they have a growth spurt and it's three or four inches, I guarantee you that that dress isn't going to fit. That's just the way it is. When the season is over, what mm-hmm. do the girls do with the dresses? Do they save them? Do they donate them? What, what often happens to these dresses? Most of them save their dresses, I'll be honest. Uh, some sell their dresses. You know, I have told them mine, you know, sell the dress at the end of the season and use some of that for your deposit for the next one. And they're like, oh, my God, we'd never sell these dresses. (laughs) So uh, mostly they don't sell the dresses. They, you know, when I do a dress for me, the dress is really like a a work of art for me. Mm. And I think that's kind of how they look at it. They just don't sell them. They save them, which is fine. (laughs) Your dresses are probably, you know, in, in memory boxes all across the country now. They might be. I mean, honestly, every once in a while, I will see a dress. A couple years ago, I saw a dress that I had done like 14 years before. Uh, I was at a competition, and somebody walked by in the dress, and I was like, oh, my God, I did that dress so long, I can't believe it. And somebody is still wearing it. It's still being sold and worn. (laughs) So I think that's an important part of these dresses. They need to be made well. They need to stand up to time. They really need to be able to last. So in covering the Olympics, and that was a perfect set, we only have to talk about Gabriella Papadakis and her wardrobe malfunction, which Mm -hmm. broke my heart because they are my absolute favorite dance pair. And when I saw that class come open, I just gasped. 
I have never yeah. seen a wardrobe malfunction like. Oh, I have. <laughs> okay, so. So, yeah, I have never, you know, first it was in the team competition, the South Korean skater, her dress snapped, but at least it didn't Mm -hmm. fall off of her. But I have never Mm -hmm. seen a malfunction like that. So you have. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sure every costume designer tries their hardest not to ever have that happen. Um, We use a kind of a redundant system of, of closures back there. If one fails, there should be two or three others that, that hold. So the idea would be like you'd have a hook and then a button or a snap. Yeah, I usually, I try to use buttons at next closure, but, you know, I use sometimes buttons. Sometimes I use the hook. You know, at the end of the day, for something like that, uh, <laughs> my feeling also is at the very end of the day, when you go out there, before, if it's really important, you do everything you can. And in dance, safety pins, which I'm always horrified at in case it opens, but the end of the day, that would be your last-ditch effort. When you're practicing in that outfit, you kind of get some sense as to whether or not this can happen. Okay. And if you have any issues in practice, you should definitely take, you know, take a moment to fix that problem. Yeah. Or at least at least have a backup system for it. Grab your safety. Something. Yeah, something. <laughs> something. Last-ditch effort. Yeah. We've all gone out of the house with things attached by safety pins. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you just don't want that to happen with a dress that's a halter dress. I mean, when that neck is basically the only thing that holds up a dress, that's that's pretty important. Well, thank you so much, Pat, and thank you, Allison, for that interesting interview. You can find Pat Pearsall at her website, www.patpearsall.com. That's P-A-T-P-E-A-R-S-A-L-L. And then she's on both Insta and Twitter at Pat Pearsall, also with two L's. The weight of the dresses was interesting. And the amount of fabric when she said, oh, the dresses are about, you know, two thirds of a yard. That is nothing. (laughs) I mean, I don't even think two thirds of a yard would get all the way around my body. Right? Ooh, these girls are tiny. These girls are tiny and the dresses are tiny and stretchy. And yeah, I was... I was also surprised about the mesh. All the diff- I didn't even think about all the different shades that the mesh needs to be. Right. And I, I got to say, I loved it when Pat got kind of indignant about not matching the color to the skin. <laughs> that was fantastic. It's not that hard, people. Have some standards. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for having standards. <laughs> She's our kind of people. <laughs> she is definitely our kind of people. And, you know, we were, I was talking to her about the, the red dress of Ryan. She's just like, yes, it had to fit just right. And it had to be perfect because she's doing the triple axle. And I'm, she really takes a lot of time with these dresses and really thinks it through. Every little small detail, which I loved. The one thing I didn't ask her that I wish I had was I wanted to know what she thought when Mariah came out in Pyeongchang and had the giant kinesthetic tape. <laughs> like, was she horrified at that? Going, you're ruining my beautiful design. But we were... <laughs> I didn't want to make her mad. Right, right. <laughs> you know, let her go off on, you right. know, getting all upset about how <laughs> this beautiful dress was ruined by the tape. Anyway, moving on to trivia. I have a fashion trivia. Do you? I have a, I have a semi-related trivia trivia question as well so why don't you go first okay so 
We know that Ralph Lauren designs all the opening ceremony, closing ceremony uniforms for the American team. Mm -hmm. Who does it for the Italians? Ooh, oh, oh, I would say either Versace or Gucci. No. Neither one. Neither one. Though good guesses. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if it was Versace? He'd have like safety (laughs) pins down the side and like everybody's legs would be hanging out and it would be really low cut. Yeah, it's just a body cons parka. That would be great. <laughs> so it's not Versace, not, not Gucci. Prada? Nope, Armani. Oh, very nice. That's classy. I know. Could you imagine? Oh, yeah, Giorgio Armani designed my parka. Must be nice. But I, I guess, I mean, if you're going to have a perk like that, now I want to know who designs the French. Speaking Good of. Call. Yeah, so. I'm going to look that right now. Why don't you look that up and I'll tell... You know who designs the Cubans last time around for Rio? No. Christian Louboutin. The really? Shuga. Yeah, I know. Really? Bizarre. Huh. That's fascinating. Well, I, I went down a wardrobe malfunction bit oh, for you. No. So the issue with Papadakis was her breast got exposed. Christina Tsukala of Greece also had a breast exposure in Beijing 2008. In a sport that seems to be rife with wardrobe malfunctions. What is it? Or I would say, I wouldn't necessarily say wardrobe malfunctions. I would say exposure issues. Um, diving? Close. Synchronized swimming? Close. Just swimming? No. <laughs> oh. No. Oh, water polo. Yes, water polo. Because Cause they pull at the... Yes, they pull at a lot of stuff. And, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call that a malfunction as much as right. a as a battle. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. Oh, was... yeah. So it's designed by Lacoste. Not bad. That is also not yeah. a bad. Not a bad get. I wonder if they pop their collars. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I dating myself? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> they're back aren't pop collars back i don't know i'll, I'll ask my daughter she'll know <laughs> do people still pop their collars on their eyes odds oh, so so i understand you had a bit of an adventure this week i had a great time at the u.s speed skating tour of olympians and that if you are in the eastern part of the united states or eastern to midwestern part of the united states between now and April 10th, you gotta go. Okay, so this, uh, there are different Olympians that are on the tour. Mine were Jessica Corman, who does short track, and Carlin Shoutens, who is long track, and she won a bronze in the Team Pursuit event in Pyeongchang. So what they did... I might have seen a picture of somebody wearing the bronze medal. You did, because we all got to line up and... Try it on or touch it or whatever. And then, no, but it gets better, right? So they're having a a Q&A in the lobby, and that was kind of interesting. And I asked Jessica, because she was, uh, somebody asked her when she started skating, and she said her parents were skaters, so they put her on quad roller skates when she was one years old. And then it just, yeah, can you imagine just learning how to walk and then be immediately on skates? So, yeah, she went through inline roller skating 
and then transitioned over to speed skating and and i asked her why she chose short track and i didn't uh, because now i got to go back to talk to aaron jackson because we're going to try to catch up with all of our team olympic fever members but i was curious like she chose short track as an inline transitioned person and aaron chose long track so i kind of wondered oh, why yeah. i asked her why did you choose short track and she said well i like the strategy and everybody being in a tight pack and all together uh, long track to me is kind of boring because it's you against the clock and you have a long race huh? or even a short I race, would, but I wonder if also body type has a, because it short could. track are, yeah, short track skaters are much shorter. Yes. And Jessica than... was more petite than Carlin. Oh, okay. So, um, in height wise. Yeah. Um, so that was fascinating. And then they were supposed to do a demo and, all of a sudden, like, okay, most of the people there are kids, a lot of kids under the age of 10, and then maybe some preteens and teens, and then their and parents, you. and me, and this woman named Debbie. Shout out to Debbie, my new friend. And we go into the ice rink for demo, which to me says the skaters are going to put on their gear and show us some stuff. And I will let you know that I am wearing jeans and a big sweater at this point. And I'm standing around and everybody's gearing up and it is obvious that it's going to be a skating lesson and I'm looking around like can I get in on this I don't know I feel kind of weird is this just for kids and I'm just a weird person and I I'm standing around and I see like who the guy is in charge and he's talking to a bunch of people and helping them out and there's bins of skates behind us too so I think well maybe they've got skates that would fit me and maybe they would let like a 12 year old trapped in an ageless woman's body onto the ice and that's when I kind of I'm leaning up and against a rail waiting for him to be kind of open and that's when I meet Debbie and I'm like do we get to skate and she's like I don't know but I kind of want to I'm like oh well you know if they'll let us we we got to skate so we talked to Todd who is um with Bay State skating and it might be Bay State speed skating but Todd starts telling us all about this. He's like, oh, yeah, we, we got skates. We might have some that fit you. We don't have a ton, but we might have some. So he fits us up, and he tells us all about the skate while we're there. Those And they are short track speed skates. I will okay, burst so your you, bubble. You yes, did not, did get, not to get to wear a clapper, clapper skate. If I, had, if I had my druthers, I would have put the clapper on because you know I'm dying to try that. Yeah. But these were short track, and the, the blades are – I want to say the blades are crazy – but they are definitely different. So there's a little, they're flat on the surface. So if you put your skates on and you just stand on the ice, you can just glide and they're flat. And how you get momentum is going on the edge, which is like razor thin. It is so thin and so scary to wear because I remember Aaron telling me about learning how to trust that edge and, oh, you do. You really have to figure out how to manage your weight and how to trust that edge in okay, order no, wait, to move. Wait, Because, like, okay, so you've got – I only know figure skates. And right. the figure skate has the U. Right. Where it goes it, – it's – it it you've got the two edges. Right. Okay. No. This is this is a uh, two – it's like the bottom half of a square. So there are two 90-degree edges – on oh. that meet your blade yes and they might not be fully 90 degree but it might be like 89 or something but that <laughs> that edge is so razor thin on either side so when they're doing crossovers 
oh my goodness, when they're doing crossovers, they're balancing on that edge. Yes, and it's <gasps> maybe the width of a dime, maybe. It is so narrow and so... Wow. It was really scary to have that on there because he'd be like, okay, and he'd make me make us go into proper skating position and told us about that. The, one of the interesting things was cause, because I do roller skating, um, on roller skates, you want your your weight in the back of your feet. And, uh, you of course, every mantra is get low and then get lower, of course. But in speed skating, you want your weight on the front of your feet. So that you're you're kind of leaning forward and you want to be able to you'd be able to raise your heels up if you wanted to. Wow. So and then to move, you have to put all of your weight onto one leg and then like kind of lean with your hip, you know, cock your hip out a little bit more to be able to kind of tilt yourself over to get on that edge to be able to push from that edge. Okay, so did you and Debbie become such good friends because you went to the emergency room together? No, we did not. Neither of us fell. We nice. Had, we had helmets on. They gave us helmets. They gave us skates. The other thing about the skates that I was shocked about is that the boot is rigid. I know on my skates, it's leather, and they're somewhat flexible. And ice skates are leather and somewhat flexible. I know they get harder the fancier you get. But these were very rigid kind of molded boots like a ski boot kind of like but it, kind it of... laced up but it was right yeah but it was really but that kind rigid hard yeah really wow. hard really rigid so that was also fascinating and then of course the blades are long <laughs> he gave us the skates and we were at the top of this bleacher section right on the ice rink and he's like well okay so now walk down to the ice but you probably you can't walk forwards down the stairs you have to walk sideways because your blades are so long they're not going to let you know you can't clear the <laughs> stair with your blade and so of course we are also in the section where there is no railing and I'm just kind of clinging to the stairs <laughs> going down because I know like oh my gosh one slip up and I break an ankle and there you know that's it that would I, be I would have just sat down and gone down <laughs> on my tush and just you know crawled down yeah, the steps back way oh yeah but but Todd told us that the blades cost like 500 bucks, just the blades. Just the, and then you make the boots separate. Yes. And then they attach. Yes. Wow. And then everybody, pretty much all of the athletes sharpen the blades themselves. So there's ways to do huh. it. And then you want a little bit of bend in the blade. And I couldn't quite tell you what, why you want that. Maybe it's to help you turn. But there's a little bit of bend in the blade, and of course you got to put the blade into like a vise to make it crunch down a little, just to get that. You know, when you let it out of the vise, it's got a tiny bit of a bend to it. But wow. it was fascinating, and Todd was great because he was just telling you everything you wanted to know, and then well, everything some. You wanted to well, know. and then some, but like we did not have all night. I could have just talked with Todd for like five hours. <laughs> But it was great because he'd help us out. And then he's like, okay, go out, you know, stay in this group and go out with that group so you can say you skated with an Olympian, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, you know, me, I'm just this big old uh, <laughs> ageless woman kind of gliding around on the track, trying not to fall, going, oh, man, this is scary. And and honestly, I would love to do it again. I, I would like to be able to learn how to do crossovers on those skates. 
I'm not sure how much I would like short track because of I, I don't like being around packs like that. You don't I don't like think people? I am. I am the I am the one who likes going against the clock. <laughs> yeah, I I would do long track too. So, but it was That's fascinating. Cool. Yeah, and then after that, we got you got to take pictures with them, and and uh, they actually they also did some off track exercises that you can practice at home when you couldn't get ice time. So that was really fun. Nice. So there, I've got some some skills in my bag to work on, to work on my thighs. And I, I will tell you, I did feel this the next day, not horribly, but I could tell that I had been working out. And I did ask her, most importantly, because people talked about like, where's your bronze medal? And of course, she's like, it's right here in my pocket. And I knew the oh, Carla. The, yes, yes. But I think the more important question, which I did ask her, was where's her suharang? Oh, yeah. It's with her parents right now. It is safe. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> but it was great. It was such a fun time. Jessica and Carlin were just lovely people. Very uh, accommodating. It was great how they interacted with all the kids. The kids were excited. Um, and I got to say, uh, we've tweeted out the link to this. And I'll tweet it out again and put it in the show notes. But if you are in Washington, D.C., Cleveland Heights, Ohio, Midland, Michigan, Hoffman Estates, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, Champaign, Illinois, or St. Louis, Missouri. Look out for that coming to your neighborhood because it's a lot of fun. And I did get some swag, which you, you did. I got some swag, which is going into my box of future Olympic fever prize packages. See, but it's that's not swag. good because I can't win one of those. <laughs> Excluded employee <laughs> cannot win the Olympic fever prize package. Uh, speaking of the prize packages for our fantasy Olympian bits, I have not heard from gold and bronze medal winners. So if you won gold or bronze, uh, please let me know because I do have small prize packages to send to you. Just email me at Jill at Olim Fever and we'll get those sent out to you. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> Don't be ashamed of your disorder. Say it proud. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for another episode of the show. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Stay in touch. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M-Fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olymp Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. It doesn't take that much to match the mesh. It really doesn't. It's not that difficult of a thing.